This is the third in a series of phone calls to try to make sure that when we get together in about three weeks that we have a productive meeting. The other two calls covered an extension of identification of key research issues in the core content areas. We also have a second conversation going about legislative advocacy. And then this is the third group, which has a focus around various dimensions of open educational content. Everybody here has some interest or connection with this topic. Maybe we could just start and do a 30-second intro of who you are and what your connection is with the topic. Sure. Well, this is Jason from the Buck Institute for Education, and uh, I'm the research director at BIE, and BIE is currently putting our planning guide for developing project-based learning into an online format. Uh, and we are training lots of sc whole school reform. So BIE is putting our PBL online materials up and working with teachers to develop projects. And I've been looking at uh, evaluation and research issues and ways to find out how useful what's being posted is for users. And I think that the use of open content materials and research around it is definitely a topic of interest. Battle. Uh, Hi, this is uh, Terry Marquardt uh, from Canon, and uh, I've been working with uh, Glenn and uh, his team uh, for I don't know, maybe four or five years now, and uh, we're we're trying to figure out how to how we can uh, use our technology to uh, enhance the uh, the learning uh, process, and uh, so we're working from the technology side to uh, support and. Uh, uh, test and try and figure out uh, how we can use this technology uh, in the classroom. I might mention that one of the things that came out of a past summit is the... Uh, this is Anita McIneer from ISTE. And um, let's see, I'm on, I've been participating in the, um, in, the organ, in the summits for about three or four years. And, you know, we usually publish um, a report in learning and leading with technology at some point. So I just try to um, participate and make sure that whatever we're doing meets the needs of teachers. Hi, this is Bobby Kershan, and I'm the Executive Director of GELC, and we are uh, relatively new, and our mission is to provide a community for building and evaluating and distributing open source curriculum. We are funded by the founders of SUN, and just so we're clear, we're not a foundation, we're a nonprofit. I'm interested in discussing and being involved in this because I think open source is a, a curriculum is going to be an important issue for not only what we're doing, but what, for what each of you are exploring over the coming years. This is Bruce Howard. Uh, I'm the new kid on the block. I'm an assistant director here at the NASA Classroom of the Future, and we are currently uh, undertaking some initiatives where one thing we're doing is, is benchmarking the best practice, state-of-the-art uh, emerging educational technologies for NASA educational content developers. We're also exploring um, how to assess learning within a video game environment. And we also uh, have a program that uses live simulations through video conferencing. And um, my main interest here is, is, uh, has to do with this benchmarking project that we're working on. I think one context that Bruce had mentioned is that, that NASA obviously has gigabytes of, of open content and got interested in the question of how you might 
help identify material relevant to individual teachers. Is that right, Bruce? Yeah, that's exactly right. That's that's one of the crucial issues that um, NASA Education is dealing with right now. And for the most part, they've kind of opted not to do that. So what I'm trying to do is explore new solutions that I could take back to them with some creative thinking involved because they, they're really, they want the message that is out there to be consistent. And um, that can be uh, an issue sometimes if, as you get into open source or as you get into these kind of social networking type tools. I'm Lynn Bell. I work with the, the, our online journal, Contemporary Issues in Technology and Teacher Education. And at the summit, I'll actually be working more with the group uh, on research questions, but I'm trying to just keep up with what's happening with the rest of the summit. This is Debbie Sprague. I'm at George Mason University, and I'm a journal editor for um, the Journal of Technology and Teacher Education. And Bruce, I would love to have a conversation with you as uh, video um, games is one of my research interests. Okay, that sounds wonderful. Did that cover everybody? Our ideal goal is to identify a direction for a dialogue that would take place over the course of the next year. For the past several years, we've also summarized some of our outcomes and directions in the May issue of Learning and Leading with Technology, working with the L&L editors. That sounds great. This is Jason, and I have to say that I was temporarily disconnected. I heard that you wanted to plan a culminating event, and everything else you said sounded great. There's a, a subset of this work that I think is very interesting that I think may connect with the benchmarking work that Bruce mentioned, so I, I, might, it might be useful to hear more about that. Bruce, is there a document where you've described some of this work? Not yet. What we're at present doing is we took on a basically a three-month project, which will end September 30th, which is kind of a phase one to lead us into this next year, which will run October 1 through September 30th again. And uh, so I'll have some kind of report available at the end of September about this. What we're basically doing is right now looking outside NASA. We, we're conducting a little bit of a Delphi study with some experts in ed tech about what criteria they use to, to evaluate ed tech. We're also looking at federal benchmarks, in other words, for instance, what is NSF making a call for in terms of ed tech? What is Department of Education looking at in terms of ed tech? We're doing some forecasting of what the emerging technologies will be. What, what range of technologies are you addressing? <laughs> that's, that's been the hardest part of this whole journey. <laughs> um, we were asked by NASA to take it all on, and so we've broken it down into, let's see, seven categories. Very quickly read those to you. I've got it stuck on the wall of my cubicle here. Teaching and learning tools, which involve organizational tools, presentation multimedia development tools, knowledge building tools. That's one. Two, collaborative social networking communications technologies. Three, interactive technologies, which include simulations, video games, virtual reality, uh, modeling and visualization. Four, audio, video, multimedia technologies. Platforms is number five. Number six is portable technologies. And number seven is assistive technologies. So it's completely arbitrary to some degree how you would break all that stuff down and which ones you'd be looking at. But uh, we're really looking at what is the what are the emerging things and how can we make recommendations to NASA, who has literally hundreds of millions of dollars to invest in education, 
and they're wanting to do it all basically electronically. And so we're, we're, we don't want them to waste that money on initiatives that, that may not be effective. Well, it's, it, I just want to say one other thing, and then I'll put off. But it seems to me that the criteria for the seems to me what would be useful is to have a rubric for the educational usefulness and of a resource, and have an educational model that we could agree upon, and then we will be that will be easier than having criteria for all the different possible technologies. Yeah, that's that's a really nice idea. Basically, a taxonomy is what you're talking about. And uh, we're certainly moving that direction. Is that Jason who was speaking? Yes, it was. Well, I think that at some point I'd like to just summarize the paper that we posted, or maybe we can arrange to discuss that at another time, because it goes into some of those issues. I approached this issue as an evaluator of one of the early online networking projects through uh, the National School Networking Project. And it quickly became clear that the production of materials by teachers could best be evaluated by their usefulness to other teachers. And as evaluator, I was stuck in the position of having no way of getting that information. <laughs> and um, it led to a teacher feedback form for other teachers. And what became interesting is that that teacher feedback form was also structured around in a way that was useful for the developers of the material so that the teacher feedback was interesting to other teachers who were looking for similar resources, but also to the teachers who had developed the resource itself, because that's user feedback. And it's also useful to me as evaluator of the project. So I saw all these overlapping interests that could be addressed by having a form that was could be filled out by teachers about the educational usefulness of a resource. And the other important thing about it was that the forum would contain criteria that would, at the time, open people's eyes to the potentials of the technology so that, you know, as a rubric allows you to focus in onto, into powerful instruction or what have you, that the form that we would, that would be filled out would um, highlight partic particularly useful uh, resources and what was useful about them that might go unnoticed, I guess, otherwise. Um, and so what we built was a database of reviews, and we used this in a professional development setting. And I think that's another really key point, is that the, the, in, the incentive is to learn about new technologies. You go through this process of re looking at them and reviewing them. And the innovation is to add a rubric that you can use and that others can use. And of course, there can be many variations, but I think sharing rubrics and agreeing on criteria would be helpful. Mm -hmm. uh, the, fi the final thing I have to say about the Buck Institute's work is that we're doing this in project-based learning setting so that we would be rating entire projects or features of projects and quite possibly use of resources in project. We're going to be putting all this online and trying to do this with our curriculum as well. The pitch is that it's for the professional development of the teachers that they're able to rate the usefulness of resources and share that information.
information with others. And how do you see this connecting to open source curriculum or being distributed? Do you see your platform as once they create it, that they provide it as open source? I think that it would involve many more teachers using the rubrics that I used to... I, th I think that it would be to... It's social filtering, if you is one way of looking at it, and identifying the shared interests and people who are going to be using similar resources and interested in similar resources. I think the paper that Glenn sent around outlined very well that you want to be able to identify the context that different people are using the resources but that I'm shapes their evaluation of them. I'm a little confused still, though. If we, not just you, but in general, if we're going to provide this professional development and provide this experience with whether it's building with what you're doing or what NASA's doing, and we don't provide a context in terms of understanding open source and building curriculum that, that can be distributed that way and, and the feedback loop of open source, then we're truly not generating a critical mass of access to open source. Right. But it, aren't these two different issues, though? I, I get the impression that Jason is talking about setting up a, an evaluation criteria for these resources and a mechanism for, for gauging them as opposed to where they actually exist? No, but I think that you can't, if you don't set the criteria that one of it be open source and truly understanding what that means for a teacher or professional development, then that, you're not really evaluating that. Well, that could be your primary, that could be your first, if you were going to experiment with this idea, that could be your first thing is to write the criteria for what is open source and what isn't open source and see if what you need to do so that teachers are able to identify and understand that. Well, but a bigger question than that is whether or not what problem-based learning, I guess it's not a question, but whether or not we can evaluate whether the development of problem-based learning materials and curriculum are more effectively distributed and evaluated using open source. I mean, if you just build a small community and you lock it up, and we all know of lots of projects that have done great curriculum development, but it's a relatively closed community and the distribution of the content or the results of it is closed, or if it's not closed, it's unknown, how do we promote open source? I'm imagining an online repository of open source resources that are being continually reviewed and developed by teachers. And um, if you want, I would, I think I would say that after continual use of a shared set of criteria, you're going to get resources that meet that criteria better than other resources out there on the on the net. So you're going to have that would be that would be proof would be that in the pudding. It's very interesting because I met with the uh, with the Buck Institute when I was in California. I met with John. And we have this sort of same philosophical discussion. Very yeah. helpful, Jason. I mean, I think we all have to think in a broader sense about this sort of umbrella of open source curriculum or open source resources and what that means to our projects in, in, in the three ways of sort of development, distribution, and evaluation. Yeah, I, one of the key, I think the key partner that we, that, you know, you might want to look to put part, to, look, to put this together is people who have content like NASA and, and people who, there's, there's different pieces of this puzzle that have to get put together. Yep. The people who are bringing the content together into curriculum, the people who are doing professional development, the people who have the uh, you know, resources.
yeah. available. And under underlying it, there there has to be some mechanism where where people can get access to all those different pieces. And I think that's where a real opportunity exists. Uh, is 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 if there is some sort of common metric like you're talking about, and, and some sort of or a common rubric way of judging it, and, and a way of aggregating all of that. Uh, that starts to get very powerful. Then people like uh, like PBS or NASA or or other people that do have these resources can make them available. And then there's also someone there who can actually comment on them and use them and and and, uh, and annotate them somehow. Yeah, we had less success getting people to discuss them, but we had lots of success getting people to review resources. In non-educational settings, these social networks on places like Amazon and eBay and other places, there are very extended discussions of the qualities and characteristics of everything from CDs to banjos. <laughs> also, uh, Wikipedia, like 70% of their content seems to be generated, or activity seems to be generated by about 2,300 people. So another thing to consider is those people who are generating that stuff, who are they, and are they, is teaching what they're doing already, or are they in some whole other demographic that, that we're not involved with? I, also, there's the context of online courses and university courses, as well as professional development workshops. So you can do a certain amount of generation of knowledge in a workshop, but you can magnify that if you do it in the context of a course. I just have a question as uh, being somewhat new to this discussion, but I want to clarify what we mean by open content. Do we just mean content that's openly available to anyone who wants to use it, or are we thinking of it in the open source um, concept where people change it and, and repost it and keep working with it and you know crediting the original source, but modifying it and making it available. Well, I think there's a continuum, you know, going all the way from, from both of the extremes that you mentioned. On, on one level, there's there's use of it, going to the other, other way of actually people incorporating it into other kinds of content. Bobby probably has the best thought about this. Well, I think that I, I don't want to step in that puddle. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, I, uh, I do think that open source is a definition. I remember when I was I won't tell you how many years ago I was writing my dissertation on computer literacy and everybody wanted to know the same definition and we were arguing about whether you needed to teach programming or not teach programming to call it computer literacy. So I think we're sort of in that, uh, that definition stage. But for GELC, open source curriculum means that it's free, it can be shared, it can be in the feedback loop so people can change it edit it and reuse it, and that it's also written on, and depends on what you know side of the world you come from, but it, it, it also is written using open source code so, and no, with no, life, no cost for license for it. It also adheres to the Creative Commons license of share, share alike. So, I mean, there's all sorts of uh, pieces here that go into defining open source curriculum. I also have been spending a lot of time differentiating between open source content and open source curriculum. There's lots of open source content available today. Um, you can go, as mentioned already on this call, and that I'm to, you know, already looking at, we, that's just straight content. That's a web page, or that's an article, or that's a, you know, a, a, a flash demonstration, or whatever. I'm looking totally it's the whole issue of what the difference between content and curriculum is. And that's, a, again, some place that you, you know, we're going to have a hard time finding a definition. But to GELC, 
curriculum means everything that has a, the scaffolding to be delivered in a classroom or for a teacher to use for instructional purposes. So, now, Bobby, can I ask a question based on what you just said, too? Um, so, you can't, you can't, can you have, it almost sounds like you said you can't have open source curriculum that uses tools that aren't open source. No, I do, and I will continue to use that as long as there's no fee involved in using them. But if you talk to some of the other people playing a big role, and you talk to Hewlett, who's doing a lot of work in this open education resources space, there are people that will not consider it open source content or curriculum unless it's built on all open source code. One of the largest funders of that is Shuttleworth. If you talk to Shuttleworth Foundation, they don't consider it open unless it's built on all open source code. So, so flash, flash wouldn't fly. Flash wouldn't fly, exactly. And, and they won't allow that. It's a real problem for them because the reason that Flash is not acceptable is that you can't edit it and reuse a Flash, a piece of Flash in a, in a program. You can deliver it, but if you're trying to contextualize it and make it local, in South Africa, and you get, and we've done this experiment. We have the research on it. We took some programs from Australia that had Flash in it. We tried to implement them in an open source curriculum in, in South Africa, and we got back feedback that it was nice and most of it was was great, but nobody could get in to change the Flash to make it make it locally appropriate. That's so, a good point. I, it's, I'm all across. I'm across the continuum here. GELC is neutral on the issue. We will post in our repository both, Anita, both of what you have referred to, something that's open, but our metadata tagging will identify, will identify that for users so that Shuttleworth can just pull up the things that are totally free and open. Uh-huh. Interesting. <laughs> well, I wanted to just say quickly say the Buck Institute is clearly more on the side of the curriculum so, uh, content. Uh, than the con than just the content alone. Pro what we pro what we have teachers producing is our projects, and we've produced uh, problem-based, fully elaborated problem-based cases, actually for high school economics and government. So, but generally, what we're talking about is having teachers uh, developing projects and maybe reusing parts of other people's projects, but linked to a curriculum framework. We're on the same page. We want to be linked to a curriculum framework. That's important, but we are. But you can't, in many cases, you can't use parts of a curriculum if they have any part of it that's not open. And is SCORM trying to, SCORM is working on content, right, so that it can be used SCORM is working curriculum. On, on the meta tagging for that, but not on setting up the criteria about what open source would be considered truly open. Right, but it's meta tagging the content, right, so it could be used in curriculum. Yes, it is meta-tagging it, but again, it goes back to if it's, if it's open and you want the licenses, what you can use, hopefully the meta-tags will identify those kind of things. Yeah, yeah. I've had a great learning curve in the last four months, believe me. I bet. <laughs> <laughs> Have you run across people that are talking about this or thinking about it? You know, I think, I think educators are just get teachers are just getting used to uh, the idea of open source. I mean, I think that's a. I mean, if you think of it as a learning curve for Bobby, think where a teacher might be. <laughs> you know, I think it's open source, huh? <laughs> and I think I think teachers tend to some teachers tend to think it's all free and available because it's used for education. You know, because they're missing the, you know, the copyright issues and everything too. So you have that. And to an extent, they can use it inside the classroom, but then everybody's stuck reinventing the wheel. That mm -hmm. uh, you know, their adaptation. 
doesn't become shareable back out to everybody else. Right. What if people had to nominate their content for whatever criteria that we set uh, to have it, or, that we, or we agreed on someone who has existing set of criteria. That's another data point. Yeah. I guess. Are there examples out there? I mean, can you show me? Can you show me a curriculum and what it would look like if it's open source curriculum? Oh yeah, I can show you several. So I think that. I mean, I think getting some examples out before people. You know, I'm not even sure I've ever seen one. I mean, does it? Is it? You know, is it labeled? Various things labeled in various ways, or. How does it look different than a lesson plan posted on the Internet or something? Uh, well, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it's most it's about the designation that um, this is, first off, available for you to use, and then second, it's available for you to repurpose and restructure. And then finally, once you've repurposed and restructured, you can then make that available back out to everybody else. That It's um, mostly about that permission. But, for example, at the GLC site, there's a lot of... Um, there's several examples of uh, calculus or physics or uh, programming of basically an entire curriculum that a teacher could pick up and run with. You know, it's a, a very extended sequence of uh, construction and assessment. And, you know, I, I think another thing that, so that, that's kind of, that's helpful. It would be helpful to see that. But also, you know, I think it could be repurposed. What's that look like? What did it look like? How did it start out? And then what is, how did somebody use it and change it, you know, to be able to see some iterations. I think an article, you know, that maybe that just discusses, you know, what is it? What's it look like? Here's here's a lesson that, you know, somebody took and they did this with it and then they reposted it and now it looks like this and, you know, maybe if there's some way to, um, how do you know you're looking at? We're working on that. There's an organization, a group that run, actually Shuttleworth and Hewlett are, fun, are funding that, Anita, uh-huh. are putting together a research paper or a paper kind of doing exactly what you said based on this group of people that are attempting to define it. Uh, well, you certainly should be in that loop. Yeah, I'd love to, uh, you know. And actually, you a... know, Lisa Petridis is, is actually probably going to head up the paper. From Lisa ISC, who? Lisa, Lisa Petridis from ISC, from ISCME. She's done a series for you, I think. Or maybe it was in another journal. But she's Yeah, done, I think it's another one, yeah. But she's done a series on open source already. Mm-hmm. On knowledge management, I think it was in multimedia uh, journal. I think there's going to be a, a, you know, a converging interest in all of this because of the one-to-one movement. You know, is there, you know, what are they doing about curriculum? Is every, you know, every student has a computer 24/7? So that's, I think that's going to really drive a lot of interest in it, and you know, in digital content. Period, and having, you know, some digital content be. Um, open source will be wonderful. Yeah, are, are people working in things that we call collaboratories? Some, well, that's, we're trying to uh, move in the direction of having teachers share projects and modify them. And I'm aware of a lot of these that have been designed, but I don't know any that have been extremely successful. I'm hoping that this review, this reviewing process, is what will make it. And and having the instructional model, putting those together, is going to make it. Extra powerful. Is that? I mean, there's a there's a lot to explore and and do and learn. And but is an end goal that there's one one place where you go, or is it well, a variety? Question. <laughs> I'd like to somebody could answer that. I know whether I had a job more than a few months. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, well, you know, because there well, is it, a, if it's open source, it can be um, it can be shared. Um, we. One of the things we did at the National School Network Project was that we thought that was during the time of the National Information Architecture. 
And we were trying to talk about how the local information architecture could be built in a way that it would talk with the national information architecture. So it seems to me you could you can propagate the database down to the local level and have have criteria rise up from the local level or that would then align hopefully with the larger. But I think scale. you would you would always have to have the option available for somebody you know, let's take a teacher or a teacher educator who says, well, I don't have access to online space to make stuff available, or I do have access to space but only for these limited purposes, or I have space but it's already full. I think you'd always need to be able to provide that option of people of, okay, well, here's something that's easy to get into, it's flexible, go for it. But I agree with Jason that um, we want to think about it being something that flows down at the local level as much as possible. Right, because often teachers are going to store the materials they adapt on their local servers. In some cases, but I wouldn't say in all cases. And of course, the other danger, because I was just plunging around on the national school network. Um, you know, the deeper you go, the more you branch out to other servers, and the more dead links you keep picking up. Because you know what Columbia was hosting two years ago is not what they're hosting right now. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. That's, well, that's an ongoing what, issue. They got the dead link phase problem. Well, that's mm -hmm. one of the that's one of the things GALC is you know mandated to do because we're sun connected in the sense that the founders are funding the GELC. We will have hopefully in you know forever for infinite amount of time servers and the ability to grow servers, grow our server farm because that's what sun does. Because mm -hmm. as you pointed out, there's thousands of projects that get funded. And when the funding goes away, the project sits on somebody's PC, or if they're lucky, on some corner of a server that doesn't get hooked up to anything because the university or the school district or whoever has it can't continue to support it. We're hoping to become the repository of choice for those kinds of curriculum projects. But more important to your question, Anita, is whether it needs to be one repository or many. I think there's going to end up being many. We can hope so. And, yeah. and that, and I'm in favor of that, actually. Mm -hmm. um, but I do believe there yeah. needs to be a a place that becomes the 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 place where you come as your first the Google of open source curriculum. And if we as educators don't do that, Google will do it. And if we want Google deciding what's what's effectively open source curriculum and putting that on their list when you go in, and when a teacher goes to Google and types in open source curriculum in math, then that's fine because, I mean, that's what's going to happen if we as educators and the funders like DLC that is in this space, if we don't drive that movement and figure out what we want Google to do, then it's going to be driven by Google or Yahoo. So the idea is it's probably going to be multiple sites with some shared protocols maybe. Yes, and also some, uh, maybe even a shared door in. I mean, my goal uh -huh. is to make GELC the Google of open source curriculum in the sense that that's where you come to start. It doesn't mean you won't end up at multiple sites. Okay. But I don't want Google deciding how it gets sorted and rearranged and presented. Mm -hmm. And I don't want Google deciding that because you paid advertising, you get a, a bump. Right, because that that's if it's truly open source, those uh -huh. two ideas don't mesh. 
Yeah. Oh, exactly. And, and I'm, you know, I'm obviously in discussions with, I mean, it should be obvious that I'm already trying to set up meetings to talk to Google and Yahoo to see how they want to be good neighbors in this. Mm-hmm. Oh, this is exciting. I'm especially, I guess, I hadn't realized that, you know, Bobby, I guess I hadn't realized that you were working for GLEC, and I didn't even really know about it. And so I was, we were, you know, the the project was, we tried, you know, doing something, you know, Glenn, and with open source curriculum when we were working on open source software, you know, back in Bermuda. And and it, it's kind of, it's, it's a little overwhelming when there's not some organization that is sort of looking to be the, the, the door in. I'm pretty jazzed now knowing that <laughs> there's a possibility of that. <laughs> we don't have to come up and invent that. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. You all know Scott McNeely has no ownership that this, that this should survive, you know, in terms of be the only one. It's, uh, if we get this started and it turns out that there's a better way and a better home, Scott sees this as something that he's created the the impetus behind it, but not the ownership of it. It's truly in the sense of open. I mean, if you go to our site now, you won't get much, but in about three or four weeks, our site contains everything. It contains our open source specs for our document. It contains anything we're doing is open. Our business plan is there. It's open. We are um, hoping to eat the dog food also. Now, can, can I ask a question? Um, is there what mechanisms are there for the people who are using these and and uh, posting these to interact with each other? Well, as, good question. Because we're building two sides to our website. We're building this repository, and we're building building a very large set of tools for of community to build exactly what you want. One, how do you get feedback? Two, what are the tools you need to build this com- this community? Bobby has identified several dimensions that almost need to be tackled simultaneously, the tools and the, and the community. Content. So there's three dimensions. I spend about a third of my time worrying about each of them. So it almost seems like, I mean, this could be a really productive working meeting, just I guess if it was directed towards, I mean, what do you need, Bobby? What do you need? Are there, are there things you need from this group that we should just be working on and doing? Well, I, I, this is the only meeting that I've agreed to, to attend and sponsor because I like the fact that it's small and I'm getting everybody's attention and we're all addressing an issue that needs to be addressed. So the only GELC agreed to sponsor this early on because I believe it's a great forum. Um, so I'm not, I don't want to control the agenda. I'm coming because I'm going to get the mind share of a lot of other people that are looking at this agenda. And to me, what I need out of the meeting is some direction on how we're going to address those kind of questions. What Jason was talking about, what, you know, what we're all talking about is going to drive the, the change. And by the way, Glenn also has a very good paper that he shared with me when I was at UVA that outlines exactly these same, same issues related to what this open source curriculum repository community would look like. So, Glenn, you, the one yeah. you gave me that day was at UVA. Yeah, it was. Too. And it, in fact, we were anticipating that we would make that available through learning and leading as we move forward. Oh, good. Okay. Glenn, does, uh, this is Terry Markwork from Camp. Hi. Uh, is, is, uh, does the Department of Ed uh, recognize open source yet, or is it... it you know, this is too new, and, and they're, they're not even looking at it or considering it. Hillary Goldman is scheduled to have a meeting with Tim Magner, the Director of Technology of the Department of Ed. Oh. Bobby, have you talked with them? Uh, we are, yes. And did, did you have any sense of whether this is on their radar? It absolutely is 
on their radar, but similar to what Anita said, they have no idea what it means. And, and knowing the government, whether it's Republican or Democratic, it's the Secretary of the Minister. In our Department of Education, I've been talking to so many overseas ministries, right? but in our Department of Education, they're waiting for some of us, this group, to help define this for them so they know what they want to talk about. I think one point to begin that conversation is that uh, the Department of Education is very interested in online schooling for K-12, and uh, 22 states already have some form of a virtual school. There's at least 16 virtual charter schools up and running. So that's a place where they're definitely looking, and that's interesting and useful to us because these are people who are committed to not just generating curricular material but delivering it online. So, Terry, that was a really good question, and it might be that this could be a venue to try to, to, to explore that and move, and move it d down the line. Yeah, I, I think uh, it would be a good opportunity if we had somebody from Department of Ed who came and uh, either sat in on some of the sessions or talked to us a little bit about what they're thinking about and, uh, you know, just kind of create some communication a little bit. So they get an understanding that there, there is a group out here that's, you know, seriously looking at this and, and uh, you know, maybe share some of the stuff that we found so far. It might be enlightening to them. Oh, I want to come to this meeting. <laughs> <laughs> We're coming up near the end of our hour. Uh, Glenn, is there any uh, is there any idea to uh, since we're all going to be in Washington? Is there any idea to try to to hook in a congressman or, or somebody that you know on the education committee or something to? kind of hear what they're thinking or what they're, you know, I mean, since since we're in the backyard, uh, maybe there's a way to leverage. I know it's maybe short time now. Well, uh, we, don't, we don't have a lot of time, but maybe is there a way to, to try to get somebody in that we can we can talk to them a little bit? Yeah, we've, um, I have offered my, the PR firm that Sun has hired, we're working with DELC, and they have a very good connection to Mark Warner. There's, and they're looking for an opportunity to, to leverage this event in a PR arena, so maybe they could help identify a politician that made sense. Yeah, even if they had an hour or something, it's you know. It's a non-sequitur, uh, by the way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just, you know, it's an opportunity to, to uh, kind of hear what they're thinking about uh, so that we're not going down a road, you know, that's completely different from what they're thinking. And they're saying, yeah, we'd love to do open source, but we don't even know what it is, and we need your help. And, and if we can get that on the radar screen, at least they, when somebody asks them the question uh, when the, in, amongst their meetings and where they're planning to invest their money, uh, they can say, well, oh, yeah, there's open source, and here's this group working over here on it. Uh, but otherwise, they have no idea we even exist. We'll try to coordinate this with Hillary Goldman, who is the, the, the point person for ISTE, uh -huh. and, and maybe work with her and Bobby uh, to, to, to make those connections. That would be great. So is, I was wondering, did, Bobby, didn't you mention three things, development, distribution, and evaluation, did you? How we're going to develop open source curriculum, how we're going to distribute it, and how we're going to determine if it works. The more structure and focus we have, the more likely we will be to come out with a deliverable at the end and a direction. Yeah. We, did, we didn't want to, to close off any options, but we had hoped that this conversation might let us start narrowing that down. So define, it's kind of like defining and then what's it mean for those three areas? <laughs> it almost sounds like you need a, you know, the, the group that's working on this to you know, tackle these problems for a while, and then they need to do a training session for the leaders from the um, 
associations. So it's as a way of following on. What exactly was on the, the question on the table? That we would spend the first day as a small group of a dozen people, and the okay. second day with a lar- as a larger group. Well, you know, we're doing another interesting project that maybe we could use the model for. I'm working with the um, Department of Innovation in the U.K. My son, who's studying at London School of Economics, tells me also that that's a non sequitur. But anyway, um, they are, anything in education innovating sort of got him interested in listening. But uh, they have a very interesting model where we're going to work with them, and maybe we can use the larger group the same way, they're actually going to have that this group I'm working with with them create a curriculum to, around open source curriculum, using open source curriculum to train teachers on open source curriculum. So maybe we could use the larger group when we report back to think about what, and since it's a professional development group, have them put together what they think an open source curriculum would be to teach their teachers about open source. Maybe that maybe that could incorporate the project-based approach, too. Absolutely. Perfect, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, it doesn't make sense for us to teach open source, teach teachers to use open source and not use open source to do it, or mm-hmm. project-based learning or any of the other things that we think will promote open source effectively. So it's kind of like this group taking over the second half of the day. Is that okay? Well, I wouldn't call it taking over, Anise. I would actually think it would be an open forum because they're going to have a lot of issues that I know I haven't even thought about. So I would like to have them address the day from thinking about what it is their organizations need, both from research and policy related to open source and anything else, but what do they think their organizations need to and make their members aware of open source. You said an article and some research, but what do, what do they, the other organizations think? You know, yeah. it, might be, it might be a better idea to reverse it and have the discussion or the presentation or however we want to do it on open source earlier so that the other groups can have those discussions about what kind of research could be done with open source, what kind of policy issues need to be done so that you're educating them about open source prior to asking them to have sales conversations. Sure. Sure. We could do two things, Debbie. One thing that I think may help is actually making the transcript of this conversation available to them. Yes. They have an agenda through about three-fourths of the first day that they've already laid out, but toward the end of the first day, we could possibly follow through on your suggestion so that then we could go to supper and start the conversation the night before. Okay. Is there anything else that we need to nail down before we wind up? Just make sure we talk soon. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Well, thank you all. Thanks, everyone. Yes, thank you. Bye-bye. 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 B